What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. It is the APC podcast from AcmePackingCompany.com and SB Nation talking about your six and one Green Bay Packers after a trouncing of uh, Chucky's Raiders. 42 to 24 was the final score at Lambeau. And it sounds a little cliche, but it really wasn't even that close. We're going to talk all about it. I am Zach Rapport in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I am joined. We got the whole team here in the in the wee hours for you guys. Thanks for, for pushing it and making it work. Ben Foldy, at Ben Foldy on Twitter. Um, welcome aboard again. And uh, you stopped at Culver's on your way home. What'd you get? I got a double bacon cheddar butter burger and a order of fried cheese curds. Wow. I think like... I lost two years of my life just listening to that order. <laughs> it honestly, I took a lactate, which I'm happy about, but yeah. uh, it it held up. Honestly, it was like Culver's is much better than I remember. I feel like I prominently talked shit about Culver's on an episode a few weeks ago, and uh, holds up. We did a fast food. Uh, we we had uh, Peter Bukowski on a couple years ago and did a fast food check because he had a, a like a an article that he did with uh, I think it was all the teams as fast food restaurants. And I remember specifically, Ben Foldy, you were pro Culver's, but anti crinkle cut fries. I'm assuming that still, still stays. I hate the fries. That's really what it does. I mean, that's, that's where it all runs off the rails for me. Crinkles in general, you're, you're just against. It would, is there a good crinkle cut fry <laughs> that I'm missing in the world? <laughs> I, I love a Nathan's fry. They're know. never, they're never crispy. They're never like browned. They're never, there's like, they're always soggy, like oven. Like there's no fry there. It's true. They are, they are generally soggy, but any, any kind of starchy vehicle to get condiments into my mouth, that's really what I'm looking for. Uh, that voice coming through the, the magic telephone machine is Alex Patakis at Alex Patakis on Twitter. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing well. I didn't have Culver's. Um, I wish I did. Well, you're out in but, New York. What do you got? Shake Shack? What'd you have tonight? Uh, yeah, no, I had, uh, some, some chicken cutlets, but they're not as good as the Culver's chicken tenders, which I find myself ordering more than butter burgers actually, which is sad. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you know, what was not sad was watching some Packers football on Sunday. Let's just get right down to it. 42 to 24 was the final score. A pretty thorough beat down i would say and let's do our notable nuggets our uh our nuggets that were notable coming out of that game ben foldy with a belly full of culvers give me your note nug man i'm trying to remember my note nug uh-oh you got food food brain so you guys go first all right alex we're gonna throw it over to you 
my note nug is this, and it's stupid, and I hate things like this because it's they're not better off with Devontae Adams being hurt. But I don't know if it's just that they're at, at a certain point in the season now, or they had to get more creative because they're missing uh, probably their only really viable target to this point. Now that you know guys are developing into viable targets, but um, I think having to concoct a game plan with such a makeshift uh, group of targets for Rodgers made Lafleur better in a way. And I just love that about this game. And my note note is just that if you're going to have a group of skill position players and have Danny Vitale like featured and, um, you know, uh, Geronimo Allison have to step up and Jimmy Graham actually have to play a role. Uh, I don't think LaFleur could have called a better game. Um, and it was evident because Rodgers was just playing within the system and making open throws. And that was amazing. So, um, my note nug is just LaFleur, like way to be creative. Cause that's something we haven't seen in a long time. And I felt like it was the most refreshing thing, um, in maybe years. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we kind of have similar nugs. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna add on to that, um, without sounding too hot takey. Like you said, you know, I think that the temporary absence of Devonte Adams has been, has been good for the offense. Um, in so far as guys like Lazard and Kumaro, these these receivers who who need reps, have now gotten to establish more of a, an in-game relationship with Rodgers within the context of this new and still gelling offensive scheme. And I mean, the Raiders they're not a very good defense, but good teams trash bad teams. So it to me, after watching this game, it stands to reason that we can say that this. Devontae-less Packers team is good um, by that logic, and they'll only get much, much better when when he's back. So um, to, to spin it, to take it in a slightly different direction, so I'm not totally copping your nug, uh, I'm not uh, I'm not 100% off the Packers should trade for a wide receiver, uh, like a veteran wide receiver train, but I'm like 95%. Per, like the train stopped and people got off to take a smoke break, and I got off with them, even though I don't smoke, and I'm contemplating maybe I'm not getting back on the train when they leave for the next station. So, um, yeah, it was just really, like you said, it was really, really refreshing to see uh, such a crisp, successful game plan, throwing all over the place, utilizing all kinds of weapons um, with Devontae yet again on the sideline. Yeah, and and it was uh, one of my favorite things, too, um, about... You know, my heart kind of broke when Alan Lazard dropped that wide open pass that Rodgers just like dropped in on a dime. Um, but, you know, in a, I guess you could say hypothetically, potentially that in a, in a world where Devon's hands is in the lineup, Rodgers would then kind of try to force the ball to him. But instead, like he's almost forced, like you said, to build trust. And this is like a big trust game in guys that make a lot of plays in practice and that he likes. And then he may talk about and pump up, but like when you do it in the game and you rebound and you make a catch like that uh, leaping catch Lazard made later in the game, like those are, those are things that are going to stick in, in Rogers head, you know, in, in the playoffs or, you know, week 16 in a big game or something like that when, when maybe Devonte isn't uh, in rhythm. So you love to see stuff like that. Yeah. And if, you know, if we're <clears throat> operating an offense where Rogers is going to need to, um, we're going to be expected to take that first read or make a very quick decision on a second read. It has been, I think it's been 
really, really nice to get him those reps with other guys so that when the time comes when Devontae is in there, you know, we, we all hear those post-game interviews where he's like, oh, we got to throw it more to Devontae. Like, I, you know, and like, yes, I agree. He's a superstar player. But at the end of the day, you've got, you know, you you've got other players and the offense functions optimally when you're using them all. So I think that, um, like you mentioned with the trust, it's it. I I expect that Rodgers now trusts these guys even more. So when Devontae comes back, I, I expect this offense to round even even more into shape. I'm I'm really, really optimistic at this point. Yeah. Um and and the other running backs are included in that too. How fun was it to see Aaron Jones uh run a route out of the backfield like Can we talk about that adjustment that he made to make that catch? Like it was a back shoulder then front shoulder and he like made the like a made the adjustment like a like a receiver. I, I heard Rogers talking after the game and he did make it seem like um, where he threw it was very intentional based on what he saw of the coverage because of of course it was, but um, it was awesome to see him uh, to make that make that adjustment and he mentioned that uh, Jones mentioned later that he talked to Rogers on the sideline after that and re- remembered thinking at the time like I got to catch this I got to make up for <laughs> for for last week and hell of a catch hell of an adjustment Ben. We're moving back to you on your notable nugget. I see you contemplating. I see you stewing. What's your note nug, man? I think my note nug is just that, and and you guys kind of alluded to this, but I, I hope that last week put a little bit of a quieting to the to the doubting Thomases of, of the uh, wide receiver core, especially also now that today uh, I think the last kind of obvious target was traded. In the for the wide receivers sweepstakes, yeah, Sanu and Sanders both uh, both gone and no longer available for those thirsty Packers Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, that's not to say that there's like nobody available, but there's not from the names that are going around. There's nobody who I think uh, after the performance we just saw would convince me that that I, I want to see them. You know, I want to pay like a meaningful price to see that person get the ball over Alan Lazard. Um, always, always feels good to be vindicated when when someone like Lazard comes through. Um, the other thing I want to say is that I, I, it's not just, um, I, I, I guess to develop that thought a little, it's not. It's like this is a surprisingly deep team in a way that I don't think I necessarily considered them to be going into the season. I think Jamal Williams has kind of proven that he's part of a two-headed monster. Like, this isn't the, you know, the, this time last year, everybody would be being like, why is Jamal Williams getting the ball as much as he is, right? And this seems like a team that's coached in a way where everybody kind of knows their role pretty well, and those roles are complementary, and nobody is upset with their role. I mean, I think part of that's because you're winning at 6-1, and one, but I, I think another part is like, not to sound like too, you know, Church of Belichick, but like whenever I think of a team where everybody's kind of like more than the sum of their parts, I usually think of the Patriots, right? Like they're just kind of this machine that you can like plug a guy into. And that's one of the reasons they're so like cold and heartless and, you know, can move on from a player like at the snap of fingers and also just be like, oh, what? There's a super weird market inefficiency and we can get the best wide receiver in the league for free. Sure. Like put them in for one game. And I'm not defending the morality of that decision, but um, 
So I, I think like this is a really disjointed thought, but I think this team is shockingly deep on both sides of the ball in a way that I don't think a lot of people expected them to be. At least I certainly yeah. didn't expect them to be. And I think the the, and the corollary of that is that so far, Gudekunst has really done well in his drafts. And I, I want to give him give hats off to the to the two year, you know, first and second year players that I think have really kind of recharged the team in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, Lafleur, when he was hired, talked about one of the principles of the offense was going to be the illusion of complexity and um, to sort of piggyback piggyback off of something that, that you just brought up in, in feeling like this team is very deep. I actually think that part of Lafleur's coaching style and offensive scheme gives the illusion of depth um, because they, th- this staff seems to be so good at, like you said, um, at communicating to players what their specific roles are, finding roles for specific players based on their skill set, based on who the opponent is, um, in a in a way that I think is just much more in line with sort of modern matchup football as opposed to you know the guy he's replacing, Mike McCarthy, who who it sounds more like that locker room was more like this is the system, this is what you do, you focus on your fundamentals, you get those right, and you beat the guy in front of you, and you know that can that works when you have really great players doesn't work so well when you don't and so i think that um part of the sort of the the style of coaching i think just makes those sort of bubble players and second stringers um makes them more comfortable with what they're being asked to do out there all right guys let's uh let's go to Twitter to get some listener note nugs. Hashtag note nugs. You can tweet at us after every game at the APC pod. Glenn tweets in after the game. We good period. I think that uh, we have now just established after a little back and forth here that that we agree the Packers um, are pretty good. John Ramos tweets in. Anyone can say what they want about the offense, defense, whatever. Green Bay has been without Adams and limited uh, and limited with other wide receivers, and yet Rodgers goes ham. Matt LaFleur should be given the game ball and should be front runner for coach of the year, period. I'm going to disagree with that only because I think that what Sean Payton is doing with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback is like unfuckwithable. But Matt LaFleur coming in um, in his rookie year, being the only rookie rookie head coach to produce these kinds of results. Granted, he has Aaron Rodgers. It's still, it's very impressive, but I don't know if it's um, Teddy Bridgewater undefeated impressive. Wait, wait, wait. Can I, can I just, I, I've seen this like going around on Twitter a little, and I agree that Sean Payton's done a really good job in a crap situation and now without Kamara as well. But why does everybody think Teddy Bridgewater is so bad? Like to me, Teddy Bridgewater has got to be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that, but he's still not the starter. He's still not Drew Brees. He's still a he's still a downgrade from Drew Brees. Sure, he's a downgrade from Drew Brees, but he's a starting. I mean, I think he's a starting caliber NFL quarterback. I don't like, disagree I don't... with that. Well, the Saints have like some pretty good depth too, because like in the absence of Kamara, isn't it Latavius Murray who's like out there running around and scoring a bunch of TDs and everything? Like that was last week, but yeah, I, yeah, and I agree. But you know what? Like I, Sean Payton holds a special place in my heart for what he does with uh, 
Uh, Taysom Hill. But yeah, with Taysom Hill. It's true. I mean, that's that's the coach of the year stuff right there, as far as I'm concerned. I love that the injury to Drew Brees means you have to be careful with Taysom Hill, like in case he gets thrust into action, and you have to like change the way you use your third string quarterback slash wing back. Also, also, they're never careful with Taysom Hill. I've never seen a Taysom Hill highlight where he doesn't get absolutely rocked. Like, yeah, they do tend to throw him just like some screen passes, and then he just lowers his head into a linebacker. <laughs> like, that's basically the Taysom Hill offense. Let's move on to Ryan who tweets in hashtag note nugs. Is Jimmy Graham back? You guys, Jimmy Graham, I'm off the train. I'm on the train. I'm climbing the hill. I'm descending the hill. He had a pretty good game. He probably had his best game as a Packer, I would say. Is Jimmy Graham back? Is he viable? I don't know. What do you think, Alex? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't want to get burned again thinking that like we could expect this uh, type of performance from him again. It was a day where everything was clicking, you know, like it just, it's just like everybody had a good game. So yeah, Jimmy Graham had a good game. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still ready for like the next tight end. Yeah. Rooting for Jimmy Graham these past two seasons has been like, like uh, Lucy pulling away the football when Charlie Brown goes to try to kick it. It's just like, you get your hope up, you get your hopes up every time and then land flat, flat on your face. Well, I, the other thing is like, Jimmy Graham shown in a game where we didn't need Jimmy Graham to shine and that's fine, but that's not why we signed Jimmy Graham. And I think we're ready. We should be ready to move on from him. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Okay. I'm descending the hill again. Thank you for talking some sense into me. Robert tweets in hashtag note nugs. Blake Martinez has been having a quietly down season. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? I see you nodding your head, Alex. Well, I mean, I guess I would agree that he had a down game. I mean, I think the Raiders clearly exploited the middle of the field with uh, Waller, um, and that's part of that. But that and that was never really his skill set. And Waller's also, I mean, basically an elite. He's like a very good wide receiver masquerading in a tight end's body. Like, I'm not, I'm not mad at Martinez for not being able to handle Waller, but I, I also think that if it like Waller or um. Martinez's limitations have been kind of on display at various points throughout this season. I think he's a good player. He's a limited player who shines his best when he's like any other linebacker. I think you could say that plays in the interior of defense when he's got like elite level defensive line skill in front of him. <laughs> and like there was, you know, the, the Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark days were like when Blake Martinez were at, was at his best. And we started to think that he was like a really, really great player. He's serviceable and he plays, he's a starting player in like a great defense. So I'm not like upset thinking he needs to be replaced, but I'm also not somebody who's going to like hold out hope for him to be like a, a playmaker on this defense in any sorts. I'll make some tackles, you know, <laughs> he'll be in the right spot and he'll probably get beat by athletic guys over the middle as, as we've seen, but that's to be expected. You know, it's, it's, it's Petten's job not to put him in that scenario. Our last note nug coming in from Ben Saylor. He says, hashtag note nug. Marquez, Val- Marquez Valdez Scantling is kind of fast. Man, on that uh, on that long touchdown where he just, uh, first of all, I think also Jones had a really nice block on there. Got to give him props on, on the block on that play. Clearing the way for Scantling to just totally smoke everyone at, as far as I could tell, 90% speed. 
Like he's coming off of an ankle. I think he was a little bit slow. And even then, like you, you watch like the coaches film, the aerial view. He's he's so fast. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that was too easy. And and what a feeling it must be for Rodgers too to have to do so little and pad the stats. Like he deserves that. You know, that's yeah. like Tom Brady-esque when everyone's just like fawning over Brady and the numbers he puts up when he's throwing five yard outs the whole game. Like, good for you, Aaron. You deserve someone to do the work for Against you. Against the Dolphins. Twice a year for a decade. Give me a break. All right. (laughs) On that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to come back and keep the train rolling with some listener mailbag questions. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. At the APC pod on Twitter is where you find us goofing around on that particular website, the APC podcast at gmail.com for long form love and hate related letters. We're going to dip into the mailbag now and we're going to get right into it. Um, Ben finds us on Twitter and asks, does anyone actually know why Lazard went undrafted. Ben, I want to throw this to you because you've talked a little bit about um, Lazard over the last few weeks, and I think kind of quietly wondered that same question aloud. You got any answers? Why wasn't he drafted? I do not have any answers to that because I thought he should have been drafted, and I don't. Like, it's not even, I think the, the um, in the case of Equinemius St. Brown, I think the, the, the common narrative was like somehow it was his dad's fault that he didn't get or that he did get drafted, but that he fell so much further than people expected him to. And I don't, I don't know what the equivalent is for Alan Lazard. I mean, I think it was dumb in the Equinemius St. Brown case. And I think it was also dumb in Alan Lazard's case that he did not get drafted. I think 
there's as we're seeing, there's no reason why he shouldn't have been drafted at the end of day two. He has the physical profile. He has the, um, and and more importantly, I think he has the production profile in college. I mean, he was a record-setting receiver for Iowa State, and uh, yeah, and it's so far it's translating into what it should in the NFL, which is like actual production. Yeah, I think you know, uh, I think a couple things about this. One, scouts, professional scouts get things wrong. They all get things wrong every year. Also, the draft is crazy. Just put yourself it just think about your fantasy draft and how like tight you get in those like little moments where it's like, "Oh, should we get this?" Just picture that with like millions of dollars on the line and, you know, like your your family's livelihood on the on the line. Um taking this in a weird direction, but it's just Mistakes happen. I think it was a mistake. And I just think that multiple teams made that made that mistake. I'm I'm just glad I'm glad he's a Packer. I mean, wasn't Tremont Williams undrafted? There, there are there is evidence of many players who have just inexplicably slipped through the cracks who are definitely starting caliber NFL players. And this is just another one of those. I don't know. So here's the one thing that I will say about why Lazard wasn't drafted and this has come up um is that he had a a pretty bad practice at the senior bowl where he dropped a lot of passes which I think kind of confirmed a lot of people's worries that he was not the most sure-handed receiver we've seen a little taste of that in the in the uh, NFL but um you know I I think it's that's also a case of scouts looking at um you know, kind of one narrative that they think say, you know, he can't catch, which doesn't really line up with the, he is a record setting wide receiver for this university. Um, but then kind of that, that narrative getting fed, you know, it's the same thing with like, why did Dalvin, Dalvin cook, you know, drop. And the answer is, well, there was this narrative that he, you know, wasn't going to be fast, whatever. He had a bad, uh, um, draft combine, and then that kind of just feeds onto itself. So I think, I mean, this is, a, I think in Lazard, not that he had a big narrative coming out of school, but he had a narrative. And I think that narrative got fed by some of the like draft hoopla in the case of the senior bowl. And then, you know, oh, well, better for us. Oh, well, better for us indeed. Moving on to Gavin, who tweets in, in the last few games, we've given up some monster passing plays. Do you guys think the loss of Savage is to blame? Alex, what do you think of this? I do think that the Savage absence does loom large. Um, they're going to get, I think, Ibrahim Campbell back soon. Um, so that should help in the secondary. But, I mean, if we're tying this question to the Raiders game specifically. Um, I think it might also be scheme related. Uh, it seemed like they were playing a lot of soft zone. They were really just content to let, to, to let Carr kind of like try, try to pick them apart. And he did a pretty consistent job of that. But to the question, Alex Savage, they, they got to miss him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think someone who, he kind of burst onto the scene and displayed this ridiculous closing speed and, and really um, like promising ability. It, it's funny because, you know, 
he's out and the team is playing so well, you almost kind of forget that like they're missing a bunch of guys on defense because they've been such an impressive defensive unit. But then you stop and examine like, wait, why did things go like that against the Raiders on defense? Um, you can come up with a million excuses and, and Darnell Savage's absence, I think is, is definitely a big one. There did seem to be a bit of a change of scheme. I saw a lot of people tweeting about and talking about them playing a little bit more zone, but um, as a whole, um, like if we're projecting forward um, or looking for, you know, something to worry about defensively, like I'm not worried. And and it's games like that against the rip. Like, I don't know how to describe this. And I understand that like a coach would want perfection. You, you play like independent of the score. Don't even look at the scoreboard, whatever. But that was one of those games. Like the Raiders could have literally done anything and they were not going to win. You know, like it just felt like the Packers at some point, like are not playing the same scheme and with the same, urgency and you know literally not calling the same plays on defense because of the game situation so um you know i i feel just as good about about this defense um as i did going into the raiders game and i think the fact that we almost forget that they're missing a bunch of guys um at key positions guys like savage who who figure to be like a pretty significant uh part of this defense is is a great thing because we always joke about like the guys who show up that we don't know about and like who is that um and now that's become like almost a good thing um for this defense when you see some guy that you've never heard of who's a third string safety and he's and he's making plays it's really Speak, refreshing. speaking of which there was a tony brown sighting in this game and uh, i was oh. excited to have him back but the only time i noticed him is when he, he was very he was like inches away from getting some kind of like unnecessary roughness or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty um very unnecessarily on i believe a packers uh punt return i think maybe it was a, a i think it was, it was a special teams play yeah it was some type of special teams play and i couldn't figure out what he was so pissed at. yeah i think the i think the refs um the the refs in this game i think also decided to like at a certain point when it got out of hand they were just like let's just run like don't stop the clock let's just get, let's just get out of here circle the wagons go home have some dinner ben i see you smirking you like my tony brown reference <laughs> i i like any tony brown reference <laughs> all right guys um we got a question in from oh this comes from i don't know if it's it's from uh maddie day or tommy burns but live from stadium drive tweeting us by the way for for the listeners if you don't know live from stadium drive find them on youtube and facebook they do a weekly show the best way that i can describe it is um it's like wayne's world meets sketch comedy but it's a weekly show about the packers um and it's like really short videos it's really digestible and it's very funny but either way they write in um as we near week eight what is the current complexion of the nfc north it seems Trubisky is getting the Cousins treatment from a few weeks ago. Cousins has kind of fallen back into favor after a couple of wins. Is that fool's gold? Patricia's Lions, um, are they better than their are they better than their record? I wanted to pose this question because we've sort of reached a point now where I think we can kind of like the the first rush of opinions of the first couple of weeks are kind of fading away. We're kind of seeing who teams really are and so now we can kind of take a step back and, and look at the division and, and see what's going on ben i i cut you off there what were you gonna say i was just gonna ask that that was all in one tweet yes wow 
they uh they 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 lessened the um the restrictions i think on the on the characters and they the took 240 they, yeah they took full full advantage but um yeah so in this jam packed tweet asking about the complexion of the nfc north ben do you feel any better or worse how do you feel about these uh these other teams in the north the vikings are the best of them i think it's annoying that they remembered that they can throw the ball to two of the best receivers in the league, but you know that was probably going to happen sooner or later. It's funny that you say annoying because that is the word that I was going to use to describe them, that I think that they, Packers fans should be prepared for the Vikings to be annoying for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, the Vikings are good. They're really good. Yeah. Um, and they were shooting themselves in the foot for a few games and unfortunately they realized that they should stop doing that. Um, whether Darn. or not they, who told yeah, them, I mean, like they might, they might, I, I feel like they still have an inclination towards wanting to shoot themselves in the foot and I won't, they're not out of the woods yet, but, um, results are results. And so unfortunately the Vikings figured out that they're a good football team. The bears figured out that they are a bad football team, uh, which is fine. Um, and they're not a terrible football team, but they're not a good football team. But, and but, the Lions, but is Mitch Trubisky ready to unseat Aaron Rodgers as the best quarterback in the NFC North? I mean, maybe. No, but I mean, maybe. there's there's been a there's been a big uh, push for Stafford to be considered the best quarterback in the NFC he's North on Twitter best. this week. He doesn't. He gets a bad rap, but he's not the best. Yeah, he's fine. I don't. I mean, I would hope that Rodgers put some quiet to the doubters uh, this past weekend, but it's funny. uh, Like, I think that Stafford is playing his best football, basically, of his career right now, and the Lions are Lionsing still. Are they two, three, and one in last place? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Vikings are better than the Lions. yeah, I don't really understand why people thought the Lions were so good. I think they're fine, but I don't think they're good. Um, but the Vikings, I think, are genuinely good. And while I don't think they have it in them to catch the Packers, given the Packers' schedule and the fact that the Vikings just won their first divisional game, um, I think I would not be shocked if the Vikings are the wild card team in the NFC North. Um, and I might be I might be speaking too soon. Like the Packers could totally start shitting the bed. I just haven't seen any I haven't seen any indication that the wheels are about to fall off the Packers, but I have seen an indication that the Vikings have remembered that they're a pretty good football team. Uh and and probably equal to the Packers on a number of areas in the field. Yeah. What annoys me about the Vikings and why they are clearly the second best team in the division is that Dalvin Cook is finally healthy and that they don't have to rely on Kirk Cousins that much. Because if they were in a situation where they were just like totally dependent on him, I would still feel like uber confident that he's going to fail at some point. Um, but uh, they're also running the ball really well. And that also happens to be if there is an exploitable part of this Packers defense, um, that's it. So matchup wise, like, um, like if I had to pick one team that's going to beat the Packers the second go around, it's, it would definitely be Minnesota. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other two, I think, are just, like, really showing their stripes. The Bears' futility on offense is, like, so enjoyable. I don't know if you saw any of that game against the Saints, but there, there was, like, a stretch, I think, of, like, over two quarters of football or something without a first down, and every time um, they would go three and out, like, Trubisky was being booed off the field, and it was just so, so enjoyable. 
to uh to watch and it makes me really hurt for their defense um you know because as great as they are um they can't even overcome like how terrible their offense is um so yeah yeah, you can't keep uh, the opposing team under nine points every week you know that's not a fair ass uh, it's not gonna do it and you can't be and they and they put up points of their own too like didn't uh i think they ran back a kick was one of their only touchdowns and then Trubisky threw like two garbage time touchdowns and they were down by 16 or something like that well, from uh, teams that are going to be annoying for the backers to fan bases, Alan writes in on Twitter, what NFL fan base do you find the most insufferable, I like this inclusion, other than angry, nothing is good enough Packers Twitter? Because that exists and it is really annoying to deal with, especially in moments like this when the Packers are playing really well. Aaron Rodgers had a perfect passer rating, which we like there's so much good right now that we didn't even talk about the fact that Aaron Rodgers had a perfect passer rating or reached 350 career touchdowns faster than any player in NFL history. Um, there's still those people out there saying, oh, but but this and but that. And I need a reason to have a vein popping out of my forehead. But aside from that crew, um, other teams, the most insufferable fan bases, Alex, who you hate? Oh, that's a tough one. I- <laughs> I think like everyone, I think we're expected to say Bears fans, but being Packers fans are no longer situated in the state of Wisconsin. And they don't have like those neighbors to the South to deal with. Like I don't interact with them a ton. And there's something so like, they're just not threatening as a team, which I think always factors in. The Vikings are kind of annoying, but like I still, they haven't done any real winning. Like honestly, if I could pick any NFL team, I would probably just say Patriots fans. And it's because the, the thing I hate most in sports is just like when any conversation that would involve any type of nuance is just cut off at the past with like rings and it's the MJ conversation. It's now the Brady conversation. And I hate that they have that because they're always going to lean on that. And it's the stupidest thing to lean on. And it makes me so angry. So I think that that, that I would have to choose them just because that's always going to be their counter to anything you say. And anytime you compliment Aaron Rodgers, it's like you're sliding Tom Brady and vice versa, right. which is zero annoying. Game. They're two, they can't completely, both be two completely different players with like completely different career trajectories. It's just, it's maddening. I, uh, you know, you make a good point about, you know, none of us really living in Wisconsin anymore. And so we're, we're more removed from bears fans. And I definitely have felt that over the years, um, especially when we were all living in New York and like you see, um, you know, see fans of, of all teams walking around. And it's almost like if you're in a bar and there's Bears fans there with you, you're almost like, yeah, you're close enough to to Milwaukee where, where we're from. So, uh, you know, let's have a beer. Let's talk. Um, Miller, not old style. Um, but but I, I will say this. I I think it was a, it was a year or two ago. And um, my wife and I were in Chicago and we were just – Flying out of Chicago, we had a lot of time to kill, so um, went to the went to a museum, went to did all this stuff, and we found ourselves in a sports bar. Um, just needed to get a burger before we went to the airport, and it happened to be that there was a a Bears game on. I forget who they were playing. It was not a division game, uh, but this was a Bears sports bar in Chicago. Everyone was in jerseys, and um, we were kind of like slinked in a corner incognito trying not to like blow our cover and in this particular game there were two 
uh, really gruesome injuries to players on the opposing team. And everyone in the bar thought that was awesome and cheered. It was a very close game and maybe they'd been drinking. I don't know. But I watched this entire bar of Chicagoan Bear fans cheer these two terrible injuries and it just reignited my my fire for for not not liking them <laughs> liking them i think the patriots um is also is also a really good answer i'm also going to throw um seahawks in there a little bit although that's not a shot at mina kimes uh ben foldy what do you think <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know where you can go if not the Patriots or the Bears. Um, I will say this: uh, I work with a Bears fan right now, and he's an incredibly nice guy. So you know, it's a big city. There's some nice Bears fans. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I think it was last year. Raining it um, in, walking it back on behalf of the podcast. Thank you. No, it was the Chiefs. Uh, I was in the. I, I think I told this story in the podcast, but I was at the barber shop, and there was this guy who looked like the villain from a John Hughes movie, and um, probably worked in finance in New York, and was in the barber chair, and he was loudly talking to his friend on his like Apple ear pot earbuds as he got a um, his haircut, and this was like the day after, two days after the, I think it was a Thursday. It was either a Thursday night or a Monday night, uh, Kansas City LA game, the one that was like forty seven, forty five, or whatever the final score was, um, and he completely unironically said to his friend, like, "No, I hated that game. Like, I I care about defense. I like that wasn't even real football. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and I was just like, all right, you are the worst." person like you are the worst (laughs) you would rather watch like a six three with a you know eight three with a safety bullshit snowball 18 to 15 (laughs) good god like that's total garbage um and well anyway i guess he got what he deserved because he if he didn't want offense you know he got he got he got what he wanted um but no i i mean i i guess I, I pretty strongly believe that that all NFL fan bases have the potential to be incredibly obnoxious because it's an incredibly obnoxious sport that we watch and it celebrates pretty much all of the worst human instincts. And if you get a bunch of people into that, like they're going to be celebrating the worst human instincts. The one fan base I have nothing bad to say anything about is the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's like the Ben Foldiest end to an answer to a question. <laughs> what, to answer the opposite question? No, I mean it's uh you, you talk about uh we're all the same. We watch this terrible thing. Humans are awful and Jacksonville's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean because my real answer to that question like if I'm really thinking honestly is like you know, familiarity breeds contempt. The the fans I find most annoying are other Packers fans. Which I think is why I was included in that question because we're it's a very, you know, we're insulated in this community especially on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, you can't give me that easy out. But like the like the Bills fans are like hilarious, but like I would not actually want to be around them. Um, but they're very good for like Twitter. Um, you know, but I, I and on that, I mean, for me, Jacksonville's given us like two of the best NFL fan memes, which is the uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna win it from the that one woman. Uh and then the uh the like incredulous guy face where he's holding up his hand 
And you just like, you're sure that it's some like Jack Del Rio, like not going for it in some situation where you should have obviously gone for it. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so, so based solely on the fact that I've never been there and that I don't see any reason, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever actually met a Jacksonville Jags fan. Um, you know, so they, they're fine as far as I'm concerned. I've only been to Jacksonville one time. I had a very, very good time. I was uh, with a band and we were playing at a bar. I will say we rolled into town and within five minutes of being at this bar, like in the middle of the afternoon, I overheard several very loud racist comments just in like casual conversation. Um, the night, the night took great turns from there, but that was my intro to Jacksonville, but let's have, um, a, an actual football question as we wrap up our mailbag portion for the week. John, I think it's Weggy, and if I got that wrong, um, get at us uh, on on Twitter. He asks, what can be done to help shore up the defense when they face teams that can run and have two tight ends? I think he did a really good job there of identifying kind of what has really, really exposed the Packers. I mean, you look at the, the Eagles and, and even... Um, even, even the Raiders, good running back. They have, you know, dynamic tight ends. They couldn't get it in the end zone. The, the Packers did a great job. I think, um, uh, stiffening up. It was the Ben, Ben don't break that we, <laughs> that we may or may not want to want to hear. But anyway, what, uh, what can be, what can be done? Alex, what can be done? What can we do? Oof. Uh, outscore them. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. It, it's this defense's makeup is not that, right? Like I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a that's a difficult question. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Like schematically, like is there something that Petten's not doing to be able to stop a power running team that's going to try to like line up and and play smash mouth football? No. Like, what are they going to do? Switch switch to a four three and and you know, I mean. Their base package is what five five DBs on the field? No, I guess no. Their base package is like six or seven DBs on the field, right? I mean, it's like literally Mike's. It's a very good specific question, and it's Mike Pettin's it is, job. It is a good specific question, but it's also like it's 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 a uh, it's a pretty niche. I'd rather I'd rather have a team that can beat the vast majority of situations it's going to encounter rather than uh, one that can, you know. Like I think that's the rub too. It's a somewhere. scheme thing where Pettin has um, decided that he is going to let certain things slide. I think that's yeah. That's I it. mean, well, that's just. I mean, look, if a team wants to waste expected points by running on you, um, great. Like, let them. Let them. That was the Patriots' defense last year. Was like, all right, you want to like waste your downs chewing up, you know, four yards, uh, on first down, like go, go to town. Um, and yeah, so I'm not, I'm not that, that worried about that, that yes. makeup. Um, enjoy your four yards. Yeah. I mean, obviously like, sure. I, Philadelphia, we made them look good on a four day rest. So what? Like, I still think that four day rest is the biggest thing that had to do with that performance. Three day rest, I guess, technically. Yeah, and and I would say like the Packers have made a conscious effort all year to avoid even being in that scenario. Even even if a team came into the, the game with that as their expressed intent on offense by starting so fast, like the pack like 
the Packers start so incredibly fast. Like it, it's it's evident right away that they're going to put up points when they have. Um, and I think that immediately puts them into a situation that favors their personnel on defense and their scheme on defense that's built on rushing the passer and having a defensive back heavy uh, personnel alignment. So, you know, that factors into it too. It's, it's again, it is so niche, like Ben said, because um, in many games, the Packers are going to be up by a score or two. And the effectiveness of, of running that type of scheme at them is just going to be totally irrelevant. Yep. I agree. And with that, I'm going to hit the polka. You guys can see I moved my camera because the dog very cutely laid on the bed behind me. Sonny the intern taking a nap. Sonny. All right, Ben, we're going to let you go to bed because you look like a man who could use some sleep. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. At Ben Foldy. Alex at Alex Patakis. I am at Zach Rapport on Twitter. Follow the show at the APC pod. Subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. We've got a couple of very favorable ratings recently. We really appreciate it. Um, well-written, funny ones. They really, really, really make my day, and I'm sure to share them uh, with the guys here as well whenever we get them. So uh, please keep that coming, and they do help lift the profile of the show as well. Your Packers are 6-1, and one, and uh, the John Gruden revenge game from the preseason where he was inexplicably mad for some reason at Matt LaFleur did not go his way. The Packers trouncing the Raiders 42 to 24. Let's keep it rolling guys. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Go pack. Go. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.